the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Dunk. Joining me on the show tonight is Ash. Ash, how are you, mate? Uh, freezing in Melbourne. That's uh, well and truly in the cold and flu season, I think. And uh, we saw a few rainy and cold results in Melbourne as well. So, yeah, interesting week of footy. Absolutely it was. We started on Thursday night with the Cats travelling over to Adelaide Oval. And uh, as a Port supporter, I was a little bit nervous after 10 in a row. And uh, to see the way that the boys responded after halftime, um, after, you know, mediocre sort of first half, um, to see them pile on, you know, uh, a big lot of goals, seven in a row in the third quarter was truly spectacular. Uh, a close game on Friday night between Brisbane and the Sydney Swans and undermanned Sydney Swans as they have been all year. The Giants uh, beat Fremantle in a very, very convincing win. So there have been a lot of questions asked about Fremantle over the last couple of weeks. The Tigers get it done in Trent Cotchin's 300th game. Ash, there's no rant this week. Your beloved Blues get up over the Suns by 59 points after a rocky first quarter, which would have had a few fans nervous. And to finish out the round, uh, the Western Bulldogs did what they needed to do over North Melbourne. Uh, Ash, how do you sum up the weekend of footy? Um, Pretty interesting. I don't think we had sort of a whole heap of close games. A lot, a lot of them were sort of by substantial margins, but I think something like a game in particular that stood out to me was the, um, the Richmond and Saints game, all sort of headlined by Trent Cotchin's 300. Um, and look, whoever's been writing the script for the footy guards out there certainly did a great job. You know, Trent Cotchin, instrumental in the Tigers' first quarter, had 11 touches um, and was really igniting sort of the bit of a fight back um, in, in, that, in that first bit of the game. Um, it was, you know, pretty inspirational the way that he was playing. We've seen under Andrew McAlter that sort of Cochin's gone back to more of a traditional role in the um, sort of in the centre square, uh, but also been sort of floating forward uh, through stoppages, which has allowed him to keep quite a few goals. So, look, overall, I thought the Tigers were really impressive. Their forward half pressure was uh, elite, I thought, and uh, they were sort of able to create a lot of those intercepts in the forward half as a result of that. And uh, Cochin was instrumental in that. Absolutely, he was. And uh, since the Tigers at the moment, only half a game out of the eight, which we probably wouldn't have said at round, you know, six or seven, um, but they've seemed to really, you know, been able to pick up some momentum under Andrew McWalter. And he's certainly putting his hat in the ring for the Richmond coaching job at the end of the year. I still don't think he'll get it. Um, I still think they'll probably look to go for an outside voice or maybe a more experienced, um, an experienced coach. You know, the coaching merry-go-round seems to change every year. But um, I suppose with the res- some of the results on the weekend, Richmond jump into ninth place on 26 points. And the Cats sort of, not. I'm not going to say lose touch with the eight, but the fact that they've they've got a game in hand, so they're on 24 points. So they could jump into the eight, by the end of next weekend. And, but I still feel like towards the end of the year, if they can make it, they're going to scare a few teams, but it's all, all about for them. I feel like it's just about making the eight. It's going to be um, the biggest battle. And we see so many team, 
um, on 24 points at the moment. We've got Geelong, GWS, Gold Coast, and Fremantle, Carlton on 22. You see Richmond on 26 with that draw in round one to those two teams respectively. So, you know, the race for the eight is well and truly on, but I think your top four is almost pretty well locked at this point. What would you think about that? No, I agree. I'd be very surprised to see anyone outside of the current top four sort of bumping in or out. And I think in general, sort of between eighth on the ladder and and 15th, it's only a two-game difference. So still, you know, half a season to go and you've got a good, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight spots sort of in the middle bracket of the ladder sort of really fluctuating. So could we see a few upsets come the end of the year? I know we sort of saw a few results last year, which we probably weren't expecting based on how the ladder was shaping up in the first half of the year. St. Kilda obviously started off very well and dropped off. Is that a repeat of we, of what we see this year? Do we see Carlton do an opposite of last year and sort of peak at the right time and sort of too early start on a massive losing streak than win, you know, a whole bunch to sneak into the eight? I'm certainly pretty bullish of it, but most would call me biased. Uh, I reckon probably out of the current sort of middle bracket of the table, I reckon Gold Coast probably aren't going to make it. I reckon Freo probably aren't going to make it. Um, maybe Sydney too, probably a bit far from it, but I reckon everyone else well and truly in finals contention. Yeah, at the moment, I I wouldn't be surprised if Richmond made the eight, but I feel like the thing that's holding them back would be the injuries that they have sustained. And, you know, because it's it's not do or die at this point, but maybe in two or three weeks it will start becoming every game is do or die. Um, and it just it's going to make it hard for them to, you know, get their players to, to come back in. You know, Tom Lynch is the big one that we've talked about on the podcast in the past. Um, and then from there, you know, whether Essendon can hold on and continue their good form, that would be interesting. St. Kilda as well, eight and three at their mid-season buy last year. Do they fall off the cliff again or are they able to hang on under Ross Lyon? And I don't think the Saints actually lost any admirers on Saturday night with their performance, but the team that I did actually really want to talk about tonight, um, that's the Giants, and I really like what Adam Kingsley do, is doing with this tsunami surge type mentality. Um, and they're they've had a few off games here and there, but overall they've been relatively consistent. And in the losses that they have had this year, none of them have been greater than um, twenty one points, which means they're in pretty well every game that they play. But if you look at you know, some of the stats from the weekend, Kelly, 33 touches, three goals. Tom Green, 31 touches. Cogs, 31. Uh, Finn Callahan um, was doing really well with 27. Ash, 23. You know, Whitfield, 23. And it's all those sort of important pieces of the puzzle for them in their midfield are getting their hands on the ball, which is really good. Um, and they did this without Jesse Hogan, by the way, who's been great for him up front this year. It might not be this year, but do you think the Giants could potentially jump into that eight next year, or do you think they could actually jump in there this year? Uh, I probably don't think so this year, but there's nothing stopping them sort of next year. And I think it's 
really, really great to see after how many key Giants uh, players from that sort of 2019 and, and earlier range, after them all leaving, Giants still continue to be sort of a pretty successful club. You know, they've changed coaches, heaps of new players, few high draft picks. And uh, what they've done is pretty surprising. I don't think many expected that. And then on the other hand, I look at Freo, who, you know, finished top four last year, played in a couple of finals, and just watching them sort of on Saturday, Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday. Their confidence just looked completely shot and just like a team that had no clue what they were doing, to, to be quite frank. And uh, for me, I think they just need to get back to the basics. Um, they need to have a look at what they're doing uh, and sort of admit that they're nowhere near where they need to be. And it comes down to sort of intensity and and sort of contest work first. Uh, and I think Sean Darcy's a big piece of sort of what's missing from that Freo side, but it's no excuse that their, their midfield was completely smashed and their sort of connection between their forward line again w- w- was a massive issue. They um, struggled to transition the ball and sort of when they did, they were completely outmarked by the Giants defenders uh, all the time, 2v1. So it, it's really poor. I don't think it's, I think it's something that can sort of be fixed pretty quickly, but it's a, a big turnaround from what we saw last year. And I think for our supporters will be really disappointed with how this season's panning out. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, Fremantle have lost the last two after, you know, stringing a really good month of footy together. Um, there'd be a fair bit of pressure going on in the WA media at the moment. And unfortunately, Nathan can't join us tonight to, Give us a summary of how the media has reacted to both West Coast and, you know, Fremantle being, you know, under pressure at the moment. More obviously talking about Fremantle this week with the result on the weekend. But, um, yeah, it's it would be a really interesting one if the Dockers finish quite low on the ladder, whether, you know, questions start getting raised about Justin Longmuir's position. Um, you know, we, there's obviously a lot of coach speculation going on at the moment with what's going to happen with Richmond and what's going to happen with Port Adelaide and is Ken going to resign? Um, you know, is Stewie Jew under pressure as well? And when, let's talk about Stewie Jew now and the Gold Coast Suns. You would have obviously, you know, watched the game on the weekend and it was a really great first quarter from the Gold Coast Sun, but in that Second quarter, I believe Carlton kicked like nine goals in a row, nine unanswered goals in a row. Is that right? Yes, it was nine goals in the second quarter and 12 in a row, sort of carrying the uh, first and third. Jeez, like for a team, I don't think a lot of people expected them to full-on make the eight. I had a feeling that they could have made the eight at the start of the year, but I don't. That's not happening now for, for my liking. Um, I have much greater faith in a team like a GWS or a Richmond to get their system right before the back end of the year. Geelong, I still think, will make it overall. But um, even Adelaide as well, even though they're a bit of flat track bullies at the moment, only winning at home sort of stuff. But um, do you feel like Jew is under pressure um, after the weekend? Because it's 59 points, you know, we have this expectation of the Gold Coast of when are they going to take that 
depth in their maturity. You know, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's just when's the penny going to drop for them sort of thing. Um, do you feel like Jew is under extreme pressure after the weekend or um, or just the build-up of the results, I suppose, that they've been having? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say that he's not under pressure. So there's definitely something there. I really feel sorry for um, Gold Coast and the five supporters that they have, but it's a franchise that has not been successful whatsoever in in their entire history. And like you mentioned, fans both at the Gold Coast and and just mutual supporters are waiting and waiting and waiting and and don't know where this is going to lead to. We don't know right now if this is a successful sort of franchise. We don't know what's going to happen to the Gold Coast in five years, 10 years. When are they going to make finals? When are they going to win a flag? When is there going to be any sort of relevance? Because I don't think you can really say that they've had any sort of relevance apart from when Gary Ablett Jr. sort of spent his few years there. Um, so it's really sad. It, it, it's sad to see such a, a relevant club because um, I think we all really want them to do well. And I don't think you'd find many people who you know, dislike Gold Coast or don't want them to make finals. We, we, we won't want them to be successful. And at the moment, we're not seeing that. We have not seen that for many, many years. So I think it's uh, certainly Stridu is under pressure. I feel sorry for him. Um, but that, that's just the nature of football. Um, it, it's an industry that's reliant on wins and Gold Coast just aren't getting that at the moment. You can see a lot of the pieces of the puzzle already in place. You've got a really solid back line with two great key defenders in Sam Collins, Charlie Ballard. You've got a midfield, a young midfield that coaches would dream of in Rao, Anderson, David Swallow is a solid citizen um, and an older statesman in that side. You know, Wits is a top three, top four ruckman in the competition um, at his peak. So, you know, and they've got King and Casbolt play, plays a role and he's solid. Um, but it's just when is it all going to gel together and ignite sort of thing? Um, when's that spark going to happen for the Gold Coast Suns? And I still feel like it might, it's, it's not going to be this year. I feel next year would be their year to make that logical step. Um, but if I, if they don't make finals next year, um, it's hard to see the, some of the blokes that they've got, you know, signed up there staying beyond their tenure, whether it's their free agency or whether they're just uncontracted. You know, clubs in their home states are really going to target them. And we saw the exodus in Brisbane in 2013 when it was Carnesis, Elliot Yo, Jared Polak. Uh, there's a couple others that Sam Doherty and there's one other that I'm forgetting at the moment. But we saw a whole, like, heart ripped out, young heart ripped out of a footy club, and it took them a good six years to recover from that realistically, um, even though they were able to get some good players in the door so and good picks in the door. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of wait and see. Is there any other teams from the weekend that you 
uh, excited about or any other teams that you're like oh, a little bit worried with how they're tracking at the moment? I mean, can I say that I'm excited about Callum or is that sort of a, <laughs> a bit too far? Uh, look, it, it would be a Mojo podcast without me going on about Carlton for a while. Um, look, the fact is that I've I've never seen a team be so bipolar. Uh, I don't think there's a, there's another way to put it. Um, the first quarter, you sort of watch that and you think, oh, here we go again, sort of thing. And then to pile on 12 goals in a row, something which this group has never done, I don't even think this team has sort of kicked maybe eight goals in a row or nine goals in a row, let alone 12. So it's something that's never been seen before and everything that sort of um, Carlton touched turned to goal when, when coming out of the midfield. I think six goals from centre clearances um, is just unreal. Um, our forward entries and ball movement was something that I've not seen in years. And sort of to kick 37 points from center bounces alone when the competition averages just eight points, I think just tells you everything you need to know about just this midfield, which has been so dysfunctional this season, just all gelling together at once. Cripps had an unreal game. Walsh had an unreal game. Chera is backing up his season. I'd be surprised if he's not talked about in sort of the All-Australian conversations because Chera had, had an unbelievable year. Kennedy was also great. Paddy Dow is finally getting some game time. The emergence of David Cunningham playing his first game in over 700 days, he was unreal. So, look, who really knows what this means? And we're not going to know what this means for another week or two weeks to come. And honestly, until the year's sort of over, we won't know what this game truly means. But all that I'll say is that currently we sit a game and a half outside the eight. Last year, we were eight and two before the bye. Came out with a massive losing streak, missed out in finals. We peaked too early. I'm looking at this way right now. Yes, we set a game and a half out of the eight. To do the maths out of our last remaining nine or 10 games, we probably need to go about eight and two, which is exactly what we went at at the first half of last season. So if there's one team which I will back to turn things around and surprise everyone, it will be my Navy Blues. And hopefully we make finals. We must, simply must. I'm confident. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, the other game that I did want to touch on uh, was North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Now, if you were a North Melbourne supporter and you went to that game on the weekend, you would have been very happy with the effort that was shown by your players against a team that most people would say is on the fringes of the top four, certainly top eight bound. Um, this year and you know to put it in you know Sheasel another 32 disposals Taron Thomas he's obviously had a peckered pass that's probably a a decent way to frame it but you can see the talent that Taron Thomas has as a former number eight pick um, with 24 disposals Will Phillips finally getting some midfield minutes 22 disposals Pick number three um, a few years ago, taken behind Jamara and Phil Thorpe for the Crows. Then it was Phillips and then it was Logan McDonald, which a lot of people thought that North Melbourne should take at the time. 
You've got Ben Mackay stringing some really good form together. You know, Jai Sinkin is a solid citizen in the midfield, multiple best and fairest at the team. And Jaden Stevenson, you know, after a rough, you know, couple of years, you know, he's consistently kicking two and three goals a game. So, um, and the thing is, Nick Larkey signed until the end of 2029, which is a fantastic thing for them. And he was highly sought after um, and had a lot of suitors, even though it's a 18 months before his contract expires. But for him to sign on and show faith in the group, uh, I think's really positive signs for North Melbourne. Whether Ben Mackay ends up staying at the end of the year is a, a bit of a wait and see. No, he's got a few offers um, out there. But, you know, if you're a North Melbourne supporter, you'd be pretty happy with the effort that you're seeing at the moment. Um, and we've talked about it on the podcast in weeks gone by. It's you could see the light at the end of the tunnel in a way. You can see that they're on the right trajectory if they continue to bring this effort, verocity at the ball, Um Love the way that Wardlord's playing as well. Had a quiet game on the weekend, but you certainly know that he's going to be in your your best 22 next year. But um, I suppose the other thing from that game as well is Liam Jones sustained a forearm injury and is going to be out for approximately eight to 10 weeks. So that leaves a massive hole for the Western Bulldogs in a team that's defense is already under siege, to put it that way. Tim O'Brien did a hamstring injury. He's got three weeks on the sidelines approximately. Um, quite nervous for their back line. Um, it means they're probably going to have to go back to, to Josh Bruce. Um, but the dogs, uh, well, luckily they've got the bye uh, this week upcoming. But as soon as they come back from the bye, they've got Fremantle. Uh, and then the following week after that, they've got Collingwood. So they're going to need to make sure that that defense is uh, – up to scratch and they're probably going to have to rely a bit more on a team defense. So how do you see firstly North Melbourne, but secondly, how do you see this injury to Liam Jones really affecting the dogs? Yeah, well, I think with the dogs, it's a combination of, as you mentioned, Tim O'Brien, Liam Jones, we've been pretty careful this year and all of a sudden the doggies look to have a, a very broken back line and sort of, I wonder if the Liam Jones injury was potentially the straw that, broke the camels back and I wonder if we see a bit of a downfall there. I think with the dogs though, is that they can sort of be carried through their midfield, no matter sort of how decimated they are in the back half. So Bontempelli is unreal. And in the Brownlow conversation, Tim English has been one of the better rucks this year. Um, and then Cody Waitman kicking six goals in his uh, 50th game, I believe it was amazing. Adam Trelaw once again, Liberatore, um, Caleb Daniel as well had a big game. So they've got a lot of A graders who can sort of uh, all combine to sort of potentially mask over some of the injury worries which they have. I reckon still 50 50 whether they make finals. As we mentioned earlier on the show, there are a lot of teams sort of knocking on the door who will be there if the dogs start to lose a couple of games in a row. So we'll wait and see there. With North, I think, um, look, they've lost no admirers over the weekend. It was a, pr- a pretty good game from, from their standards. And we once again saw a lot of the young players stand up. Like you mentioned, Calm, you know, Sheezel was, was unreal. Ben McKay probably played one of his best games, even though he's most likely not going to be there next year. Um, Jai Simkin, who, you know, is 
turning in to be a really great player. Uh, and then you have guys like Stevenson, who most weren't probably expecting him to have the year which he's had. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for him, but when the games when he's needed to step up, he certainly has. And, and three goals on a big occasion uh, was pretty crucial from him. So I think North have a lot of key pieces there. Back yourselves in at the draft. Get in a couple of great young new players. Hopefully Clarko returns soon. I think they've got a great young core and shouldn't be too far away, you know, in the next couple of years potentially making finals. So it's, it's an exciting time for them and uh, we'll see how we go. Absolutely. Now, because it's just the two of us, let's do a little bit of trade talk uh, with some of the rumours that we've heard going on. But one of the big ones is Ben McKay to... Port Adelaide, that's something that I've been hearing. Have, has that sort of been circling around in Melbourne or has um, or have there been some other suitors floated for Ben Mackay? Oh, I think there's some other suitors sort of involved. I'm not, I'm not sure on the exact sort of names of, of the clubs. I'd be interested to see if Ben Mackay would want to leave to sort of South Australia if he was keen on staying in Melbourne. I think Carton probably had a bit of interest earlier on in the year, but sort of with the emergence of Brody Kemp over the last few weeks, I think um, he's going to be a key piece of their future and probably means that someone like Ben McKay isn't needed as much. If he was to go to Port Adelaide, he's a free agent, isn't he? Yeah, he'd so, be a restricted free agent. So, you know, providing that deal somewhere above 700 and potentially five years as well, that should be a first-round compensation pick. And if you're a North Melbourne, you've got to pick anywhere between two and five, let's say, um, you're probably taking that with with no dramas whatsoever. I suppose the other one from a Carlton point of view has been uh, Tom, Tom de Koning. And Kane Corns was really bullish on Carlton trying to keep him as much as possible. I don't see a way that he personally stays at Carlton due to the four-year deal to Pinnet, as we've talked about on the podcast previously. Um, we've heard Sydney have offered the likes of eight years. We've heard that, you know, Geelong is certainly in the conversation. Financial offer that was similar to Carlton, but probably the role that he would get to play would certainly be there with their ruck merry-go-round that they seem to go through every year. But what's your information on Tom DeConing at the moment? Well, I think it's interesting. Sort of, I think the way things are at the moment, Carlton are probably offering him a two-year deal would have taken him to free agency, probably somewhere around that five to 600K mark, which is probably what he's roughly worth because you've got to put an element of projection into it based on sort of potential as well. So you can't just pay him... You know, he's a, he's a young ruckman at about 23, and they're obviously going to come on at a certain later age. So you're going to pay him a bit um, overs in a way for that, and then you consider some of the offers which he's had as well. So it's not like Carlton can completely lowball him and, and sort of lose interest. Sydney, as you mentioned, long-term deal on a lot of money. So it's going to be hard. I don't probably see why um, Tom would want to go to, to New South Wales unless, of course, it is for that massive contract. I think Geelong makes more of a logical option, although they do already have quite a few sort of of those young rucks developing, um, Toby Conway, Shannon Neal. So interesting to see where Tom DeConing sort of fits within that picture. The other one I sort of am wondering about is 
if he was to be traded to Sydney, could you see a potential where it's a sort of a player for player swap or, or something involved in that? Uh, there's been a few sort of rumors here and there that Tom Papley, despite signing a long term deal, has sort of explored his options and, and sort of talked around on a potential return to Victoria. So I'm wondering if that's something potentially, and that's really sort of out there, whether that is something that sort of could come to fruition. Um, and as you mentioned, come the Pidnet four-year deal probably doesn't look the best for Tom, but also I think it was smart in a way to to back in uh, Pidnet, considering that if they were to only sign him on a, a two-year deal or whatever it was, and then Tom DeConing does decide to leave, it sort of leaves Carlton with pretty much no other rucks available. So I, I think sort of on first glance, four years to Pidnet didn't seem like the most fantastic deal, but I think it's safe mismanagement in the fact that if Tom DeConing wants to leave, it sort of provides a bit more reassurance. Um, so look, we'll see. Trade period is always a nice fun time. What what do you think that Tom DeConing would be worth sort of potentially? Because Geelong, I think they've picked, they have the first rounder at the moment, but other than that, they don't have a second or a third rounder. Um, so assuming that they don't want to use their current first rounder because there would be no, they'll have no picks in the first three rounds. Potentially they'll be looking at a future first or a, or a future second. Uh, I, I don't know sort of what exactly is worth. I, I reckon Khan would probably be wanting a pretty high pick and Geelong would be playing hardball with him. I think on the other hand, if he wants to go to Sydney, you can sort of try and negotiate a bit of a higher pick based on the length and the uh, amount which he would be going on for a contract there. So what do you think he's sort of worth? It's a hard one because you can certainly see how much potential he does have as a player, as a prospect. Um, You know, Sydney are going to have that cap space with Buddy, you know, likely to retire at the end of the year or most likely to retire at the end of the year. So, for example, let's say Tom DeConing is offered a deal in the vicinity of 800000 for for eight years. At this point in time, Sydney would have pick four, which I would certainly say is over for DeConing and his current ability. Whether it was something like you get four, Carlton got four, they gave DeConing and then they, you know, gave something a little bit extra um, to justify pick four. I see De Koning as somewhere between a pick, a pick between ten to ten to fifteen. I reckon somewhere in that range, I'd probably see fair. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if a club didn't want to pay that sort of you know capital in terms of a draft pick. Um, and offered a low first-round pick somewhere between maybe 15 to 20. Um, But I think somewhere between 10 to 15, 16 is probably around the mark for his current ability as well. And, you know, to have this this similar argument, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Miles Bergman from Port Adelaide. He was a pick 14 originally. You know, people are struggling to pick up what he's currently worth at the moment as well. And just to get back to your 
bloated idea about Tom Papley and Tom DeConing. If Carlton get offered that as a straight swap, I would certainly take that. As a Carl- For Carlton, I would take that. I feel like your forward line has two really good central pillars, Kerno, Mackay, someone like a Papley who could come in and kick you 45, 50 goals in a year. Um, I would certainly take that. A player that's in his prime, he's ready to go, you know, he's he performs on the big stage. Um, I'd almost feel like a straight swap in that scenario would be the ideal scenario. Whether he actually does want to leave Sydney, I haven't heard anything to suggest that, but I do want to actually get your thought on something else. So both housemates, Jake Saligo and Josh Rochelle are both 20 or about to turn 20. And they have signed until the end of 2029. Now, for second-year players, I believe this is ridiculous. I would think that Rochelle makes more sense than someone like Saligo, and I can see Saligo being a good player. But I feel that's very irresponsible list management from the Crows, and it'd be interesting to get Nathan's take on this. But offering you know, essentially six-year extensions already. Um, It's good that the Crows have got a lot of faith in these guys, and I think they will be good players. But at this point in the time, I think it's extremely irresponsible list management. Whoever those those two boys have as managers, their managers certainly need a pay rise after negotiating those deals. What are your thoughts on that one? Because we have seen these long-term contracts bite people in the ass, most notably Collingwood. Yeah, um, I think Rochelle you can probably understand to some degree, although it is probably a bit too long. Jake Saligo, I, I didn't even realise until 2029. That, that's crazy because, hey, I, I just had a look. He averages 16 touches and under three clearances a game, three tackles a game, three marks a game. He, he's a very average player and almost someone that would be playing VFL for most of the year, sort of, I don't really see how he's, how he's worth that. Um, and, and it's not even like the Crows are sort of desperate for, you know, in, investing heavily in, in young mids. You know, they have Dawson and Laird been very great this year. So it's not even like they're desperate to sort of keep their young midfielders. So uh, it's, it's a bit questionable for me. And I'm not sure what Kane Corns would have to say about that. One thing when you're offering long-term contracts to sort of A-graders and B-graders, Another thing, when you're offering to someone who should be playing probably Sandville footy, yeah, Jake Saligo, well done him. And like you mentioned, Khan, whoever his manager is decide, uh, should be getting a pay rise. Absolutely. Uh, well, I think that that's a pretty good point to finish up our episode of the Mojo Sports AFL show. Make sure you head over to the Instagram at Mojo Sports AFL. Uh, to stay up to date with all of our updates from the network. And the boys will be uh, ready to go for their Thursday night show to preview the weekend of matches. Ash, thanks for joining me, mate. Always good to catch up with you. You too, Calm. All right. Take care, everyone. Cheers.